Hi everyone, welcome back to Farron and Film, and today we are bringing you our part two top ten villains. We're going to do our five to ones. If you've not yet seen our six to tens, our ten to sixes, go back and watch part two, uh, part one even. But we're going to kick off with uh, Holly and your number five, please. It's my first of two Disney villains, um, and I really struggled to choose which one would go first and which one would go second. Um, and I've chosen Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, which is funny because we've just been laughing in the break about how I always talk about Beauty and the Beast. So <laughs> I, I continue. You do find on film bingo. Take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I really love Gaston. Um, for a number of reasons. I, I am a big RuPaul's Drag Race fan and there is a, a drag queen called uh, Jinx Monsoon and I've actually seen her perform live and part of her um, kind of uh, stand-up set when uh, she's performing live is how her uh, sexual awakening happened when she watched Beauty and the Beast and saw Gaston's feet on a table um, if you haven't seen Beauty and the Beast, you won't know what we're talking about. If you have seen it, you agree. <laughs> and that's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, no, Gaston is so awful because, again, and it's going to become a theme now, he's normal. In that town, everyone else loves him. You can't fight against Gaston because he's who everyone in that town wants to be. He has, he has power and influence, which is always scary. Um, he has a, a misogynistic worldview, which is shared by everyone else. So you can't fight against that because fighting against it makes Belle look like a, a weirdo. Um, and he, he just has a total belief that he's right. Um, and all of that is quite scary. I don't think Gaston is a scary villain. He's a comedy villain. Um, you you kind of laugh at some of the things he does, but from a distance, if you were Belle, it would be terrifying to have caught his attention. Um, he is so sure that she'll say yes to him that he arranges their wedding immediately outside of their house with everyone from the town there also believing that she will obviously say yes and they'll do a wedding immediately outside of her house. That's psychotic, but mm. he's so... Um, popular um, and everyone just revolves around him it's his world um, that he would he just doesn't question anything that he does he's all like it he just if he wants it it's his um, and I think that in the live action version I think the best thing about the live action version is Luke Evans's portrayal of um, Gaston. I think he's fantastic casting. They couldn't have done better. Um, but the original uh, voice actor, who I have written down, is a, a Broadway and an opera singer, not a, a stage or, or voice actor at all, um, Richard White. Um, and I, I think it's such fantastic casting. Um, his singing voice is glorious. Um, his spotlight on the villain song, I think, is great. Um, and uh, just the, the self-entitlement dripping of every line uh, in, the whole, um, in the whole film. Uh, he does a, a really great job. Um, uh, yeah, a, a scary villain, particularly for a woman, but um, just generally uh, scary for his normalness. 
It feels like a villain that Disney just frankly wouldn't have the balls to do today. Like if Beauty and the Beast was released today, you'd get him being quite well-meaning, but like well, still as pop. Go on. Sorry to interrupt. In the remake, one of my issues with the live-action remake is that the villagers don't like Gaston. In mm, the yeah, they mm. are laughing at him when he does his big song in the pub. Everyone's rolling their eyes at him. Yeah. So Disney have already stepped back from this villain and said, okay, we, we don't want to make it look like the town is that small-minded. Mm. We, we've got to make it look like you know, people are people are actually fundamentally good and they're not that they're not that pliable, they're not not that um like herd-like. Right, except that that's mentality. the entire point of the narrative of the story, you idiots. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really does kill his power as a villain. Yeah. The, the town think he's kind of pathetic. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, his scariness is the fact that he can, he gets a mob like that. Yeah. About something crazy. He's just like, right, everyone, pitchforks. And everyone's like, yes, go on, Gaston. Mm. Um, and that doesn't feel believable in the remake. Um, I would love to play him. He looks like so much fun to play. Oh, God, like, yeah. I've got I've I've got the voice. I just don't like him. <laughs> There's like um, a video I found on YouTube. It's like the unintended or like the unnoticed victims of Gaston, and it's the guy right at the beginning who goes to buy some eggs, but there are none, and then it flashes <laughs> to his song <laughs> about how many <laughs> eggs he eats. <laughs> and the price he of is eggs is really high. But also, it's a weird film because, like, at the beginning, Belle walks around and sings a song to everyone, insulting them to their face. Oh, yeah. And then later on, they're not on her side. Shock. That's so surprising. Um, oh, it's musical theatre, Michael. It's her internal monologue that she's letting us in. But I do. I, I really enjoy Gaston. I think that's a really good pick. I think Gaston's yeah. a good film because he's realistic. Everybody knows yeah, yeah. that yeah, kind yeah, of absolutely. jock. Like that jock You've He's the most popular just... guy in secondary school. Yeah, that he? guy who doesn't get the hint and keeps on, you know, making his interest in you know when you've politely and clearly told him no. That You've kind of hinted at that whole, that is a reality that way too many women have to come across every single day. And those are the better Disney villains for me. Like, as much as I love an Ursula, a Maleficent, you know, these genuine... Uh, megalomaniacal want to take over the world villains because they have their place and their fun but the better villains are the ones that are that bit more grounded it's why in my honourable mentions I said Umbridge instead of Voldemort yeah Wizard Hitler is a great villain but horrifically punitive teacher who has a very set way of doing things and is very draconian in it is a villain that everybody understands and everybody has seen and it touches a nerve with everybody yeah. Harry Potter's hands lander. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, my number five has already been mentioned by Michael. Uh, it's Terence Fletcher from Whiplash. Um, I couldn't not. I mean, I teach Whiplash. So I watch this film every year. And every year, it's like the thing, the reason why I love teaching films so much and the reason why I love going back to some of these films is that I see something different every time. And like even like I took the kids to um Courtplex in Manchester before Christmas and we did Rebel Without a Cars and Ferris Bueller's Day Off in a double bill, um, just because of the films that they have to do on the exam. And I noticed something in Ferris Bueller's Day Off about Cameron's t shirt being inside out when he has his rant. And it's like, is that 
symbolizing him having some sort of imbalance in his life and all that kind of stuff. And the kids picked up on it and they loved it and all that kind of stuff. And when, whenever Probably just an off day for the costume department, but well, you know, it, it <laughs> could genuinely just be a mistake, but we can write about it. Um, <laughs> when it comes to whiplash, like we, we speak a lot about, is he just projecting his failures onto his students is it that he's doing it because he has a reason to do it? Does he know the right thing? When the Sean Casey stuff comes up about this ex-student who of Fletcher's who killed himself, like that adds a whole other level to it. Like I always the kids don't often pick up on this, but I always think of he's been fired from his job and he's he's been asked to put this band together for a concert, a big concert at Carnegie Hall, and he goes and he does it, but his first play of that is that I'm going to sabotage this guy who got me fired. And it's like, he doesn't care at all that he's going to stand in front of a, a paid audience of people and allow this band that he's put together for the drums to be, you know, S the bed. And like, he just allows it. And it's like, how how much of a villain can you be that you're willing to put yourself on the line just to get back at somebody in such a mm. public forum as well? Um, and then that little bit towards the end where we have this conversation about whether or not they achieve mutual respect or is it that Andrew bests Fletcher? What is it that happens? But I think fundamentally all the way through it, the kids always say to me before we watch Whiplash, they say, what's it about? And I only I can only ever say it's about a guy who wants to be the best drummer because I don't know how else to describe it. I don't know how else to describe the film, but I, don't, I never want to tell them anything about Fletcher. Because they mm. go in and they see Fletcher and they see him being quite mild-mannered to begin with. And then the minute that he rips into Mets, you know, what there's no Mars bar down there. Look up, look up here. Is it you, Elmer Fudd? Right? They that it just turns and you can see you can feel it in the room as the kids sort of go, Oh my god, like this guy. I've only ever had one kid, and this was about four years ago, who at the back of the room went, No teacher speaking to me like that. But then everyone else, they just watch it, you know, and they just they're sort of like he's he's evil, he's really nasty, isn't he? And they they, they just mm. get it, and it's just a superb another my final Oscar winning performance. Actually, no, it's not. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, another Oscar winning performance. Surprisingly, also for supporting actor. Um, mm. So you know the villains are supporting actors. It seems I love I love that bit at the end where because he starts off obviously like he has to kind of roll with it and he's like fuming with uh, Andrew but there is that point I, I actually kind of love that moment of I think it, there definitely is a respect that he has for him there because he like fixes his drum kit for him and he's like conducting him and he's just doing that which isn't conducting at all like bless uh, JK Simmons that isn't conducting on any level but um like that is real like with no dialogue behind it at all it's a hell of a story right at the end and it's like it, he, I kind of believe him when he, like, I think he is just obsessed with making these, like, great musicians. Like, it's a, yeah. he's a weird, he's a weirdly selfless villain. Like, I don't think his ego only comes into when he feels like he's been wronged. I mean, is it selfless, though? Because ultimately that then forms part of his legacy. They keep talking about to how a, buddy to Rich a point, yeah. you could say you could say that for anything. Like you could say that about us teaching kids. Like if we go, if we have a kid who goes on to do well, we can kind of claim that for our own. I think that's it's a bit more like when he's talking to him in the jazz club. Like, like you do get that set. Like that's his most vulnerable scene, and he's like talking about how 
he just has these greats and he just wants them to be great. And I kind of believe him there. Uh, he's the most vulnerable scene, but again, reading into it, is that because he's trying to be, yeah. You, you can interpret it as that, surely, but it is still also a really interesting consideration if that is the most vulnerable he is, and like that's the most true. Well, he's never he's never lying, really, other than like <laughs> Andrew in and then telling him the wrong song. Like that's the only hundred percent he's lied about this. Thing. Like everything else could be absolutely true. Like that could be, and I I like that interpretation of he's just. He's 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 too obsessed with this. Like an obsessive villain is quite interesting, and he's a really good obsessive villain. Yeah. In that sense, but the point is, you can interpret it either way, and he's still bloody brilliant. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm annoyed I didn't consider him for this list. Indeed. Uh, Oliver number five. Um, we have another crossover, and it is with you, Mister Farrens. Oh. It is with you because I'm a massive, massive fan. I've realised this very late, well, very late relatively. But I'm a massive fan of Cormac McCarthy. Um, fantastic. You already know who it is now, don't I you? I know who it is. I'm writing him but, down. Yeah, Cormac McCarthy, seminal um, American author. He has given us hits such as Blood Meridian, which I'm reading through now. It is probably the most horrifying book I've ever read. It is so grim. Uh, he gave us The Road, and he also gave us No Country for Old Men, including Anton Chigurh. Oh, my God. I didn't realise it was possible for the Terminator to be human. Like, <laughs> he's just unstoppable. Powerhouse performance from Javier Bardem. In an already fantastic film, he manages to steal every scene he's in. He's often been... Um, uh, slated as the most accurate portrayal of a psychopath in film. Um, and I think it really shows, I think, because um, he genuinely shows no emotion. Like, the closest you see to emotion is when he's choking out that deputy near the beginning of the film. And But it isn't really emotion. It just looks like grim determination of him, like, going like yeah, that. And the, just, the feet scraping across the floor. It's just... Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely grim. I have heard an interesting theory about um, No Country for All Men that Anton Chigurh isn't actually real. He's almost like an imagined character by like the sheriff, played by Tommy Lee Jones, because he wants to imagine that it's this just this one big bad man, and if he can stop him, he can save the day, when in reality, it's just the cartel. It's just... You know, it, you know, it's just different criminal gangs kind of he's affecting each other. No, he, we want him to be real because he's so cool. But because the fact, like, within the context of that, he's basically superhuman. And I get where the theory is coming from because the whole point of that is the sheriff feels like crime has changed and he can't keep up with it. And the ending uh, conversation he has um, is basically calling him vain for trying to. And that it hasn't changed. It's always been like that. He is vain to thinking that it's just, it's all on him. Um, And so it is an interesting theory that because he does just seem like evil personified in that sense. He does seem like a kind of boogeyman character that a guy who's struggling to kind of comprehend what's going on. um, He seems like the kind of character that you would come up with in that circumstance because he does do all of the coolest stuff in the film. He literally does. Um, but, like, he isn't the one that kills Llewellyn Moss. 
he doesn't interact with any of the characters ever really like the sheriff knocks on the door and you see Anton Chagall kind of waiting in there and then he opens the door and there's no one in there and some people interpret that as oh he's just at the wrong room but other people have interpreted that as he's looking like this guy you're not going to find this guy it's just it's an organizational thing it's a cartel and I hate, I hate stuff like that though no I I just I get where it's coming from well, like apparently Cameron isn't a real character and he's just a sort of thing or ferris isn't what one of the two it's like I, I, I just said it was ferris and it was cameron letting lose but like yeah either way just but but like in something like this it would make a bit more sense. i don't know if that's the kind of thing Cormac mccarthy would go for i think all of his characters are there in stuff that i've read he doesn't do metaphors like that he does much more thematic stuff but it either way it doesn't detract from an outstandingly terrifying performance um, if he feels compelled to do this, like that scene with Kelly McDonald, and she kind of like it, I love that scene because she kind of calls him out on his like philosophy, um, because no one else kind of has the balls to do it, and she's just like, no, you, the coin doesn't have any say in it in the matter. You have to say you're deciding this ultimately, and he doesn't like that, and it's I oh, just such a good performance, um. And the fact that there's so many good performances in that film, like Woody Harrelson's great in it, Kelly McDonald's great in it, Josh Brolin again, he's great in it. But um, Happy About Them as Anton Chagall absolutely steals the show. I've just realised one villain that might appear in Michael, uh, not in Michael's, in yours, Adam, that I'm annoyed I didn't consider. But hey, <laughs> we'll see if it comes up and I'll tell you what I thought if you don't remember. So, yeah, Anton Chagall, he's on... Unbelievable, terrifying creature. Uh, Michael, number five. Star Wars. And I think just because he just is bad. Like, if you consider Michael, the fact just that... just say it again. The, there seems to be a lag every time you start speaking. In the, I don't hear anything. Until... I didn't hear anything. Yeah. All oh, right, so it's I've probably got my noise gate set too too low. Um, so yeah, Palpatine from Star Wars, of course. Um, and I think just because you consider, obviously, Dooku, Darth Maul, you know, various other iconic villains just work for him. They're his apprentices. He's the person. And I think one really good thing, regardless of what you think of the prequels, is showing his rise to power and just how good that is and how, like, kind of he uses the chaos, like, makes the chaos, but he uses it to kind of build himself up completely legally to power, which is kind of, again, and I, I, I obviously you can probably tell I do like this, you can link that to real-world villains. There's plenty of people, especially in American politics, who use the chaos of the world to get themselves into places of power. He just also happens to be a space wizard, um, you know, and have that, you know, the power and stuff. And I think it's the fact that he is initial. I think when you first see him, he seems like if you don't know who he is and you see him at first, he seems really weak. It's like, oh, Darth Vader is the powerful one and he's just the emperor who they're all protecting. And then actually he's really powerful and Luke stands no chance against him. Because just his force lightning alone is so powerful. You know, I mean, obviously, we know Windu could deal with it, but he was a really experienced, 
you know, night. So it kind of comes from nowhere, this like unlimited power, as he says. And I think it is that he's quietly menacing. But then actually is powerful, but he doesn't show it very often. You know, when he fights Yoda, he's actually really agile and can fight really, really well. And in fact, only leaves because he senses, you know, Anakin's in danger and probably could have killed Yoda. Um, and it's great because you don't you don't sense it from him. Now, some villains are always terrifying. He's a little bit like in the background and then all of a sudden he's in control and you don't realise he's been in control all along, but he has been. Um, and I think the fact that he almost gets so many people who you would not expect to turn to the dark side to turn. Luke almost turns. You know, Anakin very easily is swayed by him realistically. Um, you know, Dooku is swe- and Dooku's like a really honourable person, really, when you look into his um, kind of backstory. Um, so I think, yeah, I think he can not have him when it comes to Star Wars. He's not my only Star Wars villain on the list, but I think he has to, <laughs> he has to be on there. I didn't include, I didn't include Palpatine because, like I said, I was trying to do one per um, franchise and I did not have um, Palpatine as much. He is so much fun. He sure, he's brilliant. I, he, he's the best thing in every scene he's in. <laughs> he's so, he's just, like, scene chewing but not quite scene chewing he's he, he no one has perfected camp quite as well as Ian McDiamond has as Palpatine but he, I, yeah I really agree with everything you I, I don't like him having a lightsaber I really wish he didn't have one I wish Yoda didn't have one as well because like you said they are space wizards I know what you mean. like I'd have loved them having an actual like just force battle and I'd have loved in their fight for him to just wipe the floor with Yoda because that's why Yoda runs away. That that feels like quite an even fight, and I don't like that. Every but, time you've said Space Wizard, Romish rang a Nathan in Taskmaster, going, <laughs> Tree Wizard has just gone through my ass. <laughs> oh, that's a deep cut, Adam, but yeah. it's, a great, it's a great one. Um, I, I'm just going to spoil it now, because I did mention it on the last top ten. I haven't got any Star Wars in my list. For God's sake. What is going on? <laughs> What have you got against it? Like, apparently, I'm the edge lord. But uh, no, I'm... no, like genuinely nothing. Like, I, I don't have anything against it or anything like that. But th- this is my list, and that realistically, the closest I got to putting any Star Wars villain in my list was Kylo Ren. But then I thought, uh, yeah, like Force Awakens, Kylo Ren, yeah, you know. But then. Later down the line, loses its way a little bit. Vader, I think Vader's fine. I think Vader's, you know, is what it is, right? You, but you shut your mouth, right? <laughs> but I, I think, I think there's an awful lot of people who put an awful lot of stock in the fact that he's become an icon bad guy of this series, and that really his best scene came in a film that came after Disney bought out Lucasfilm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, my number four has already been mentioned, so I'm not going to mention too much. Uh, by Holly, it's Thanos. Um, as terms of an MCU villain, like he works, and if you think about it, what they tried to do in Loki, where they introduced him in Thor and then brought him back to have him back as the Avengers villain, like the familiarity there, that's why that worked. 
the fact that we'd only really seen Thanos's face, hand, like we didn't really have to care about him. The minute that he appears on screen in Infinity War and he batters Hulk, you're like, oh my god! Like there's having, a having just slayed As- Asgard's population as well. Yeah. Like that's really casual. There's just it's just a sea of death. Yeah, there's like oh, this god. is like a legitimate bad guy this is a legitimate villain but then as well that thing that all good villains should do that when they tell you their plan you kind of go oh it makes sense doesn't it like realistic i I can't argue with danos going this has all gotten out of hand like everything's finite we need to sort it out and like realistically no no one's come close now i i don't know if i would have preferred I love Endgame, but the sort of like the almost reset that happens with Endgame. Yeah. The Thanos that they're facing at the end isn't the same Thanos as the one that came in Infinity War. And it's like, could 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 it have happened? Were we carried on? Like, did he need to use the stones to destroy the stones? Yeah, because then that gives you the endgame narrative. Da 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 da. But I, I would say Thanos Infinity War peak. Like best mcu villain best performance like josh brolin doing it you know stunning fantastic um so yeah my number four is thanos oliver number four um one set of films i don't know if we've talked about all that much and are surprisingly strong in this regard the dreamworks films Okay. The DreamWorks animated films have got some absolutely A-grade villains in it. The Fairy Godmother, fantastic. She's unbelievable. She's not... A, this is like my honourable mentions, kind of. So Fairy Godmother, unbelievable. I can empathise with the Fairy Godmother of when she's stressed out and she's going, you're making me do it, you're making me do it, and then she yeah. turns up at her some, yeah, the, My diet's ruined! <laughs> Can somebody please get me something deep fried and smothered in chocolate? Yeah, like, again, just purely related. And she manages to manipulate the misunderstanding because that kind of misunderstanding where the couple break up and mope for a bit and then they get back together. She's great because she's the reason that happens. She has manipulated that situation. She's not in my top ten. Uh, I love Titan from uh, Megamind. Another kind of Gaston type, a very entitled... Uh, guy who feels like just because he's nice to the female lead that he, he he is allowed to kind of claim her as his property. Not in my list. The one that really surprised me because he was in my list originally was Lord Shen from Kung Fu Panda 2. Gary Oldman with playing a villain who holds a psychological hold over our hero. And it's an unbelievable performance. It's unbelievably animated. And he ended up in my honourable mentions because Georgia reminded me of the existence of Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which is an unbelievable film. It should not be good. Puss in Boots is a very mediocre film and it's a spin-off of another DreamWorks property. And I heard they were doing another Puss in Boots film and I was like, who asked for this? I am so glad that someone decided to ask for it because it is one of the best films I saw last year, unironically. And I saw Barbie and Oppenheimer. Like it is, to be fair, it is. It was much better than I expected it to be. It is such a good film, and I could go with Little Jack Horner. 
very funny villain who they kind of make fun of like that like it's almost like dreamworks getting back to what they were all about which was lampooning disney because disney have gone through this turn of trying to make the villains a bit more relatable and oh you understand them oh they've got them and like jiminy cricket's whole shtick with jack horner it's like oh why did you end up here and it's like oh well you know we lived in a very meager palace and you know my mother and father catering to my everywhere jack horner is nasty because he just wants to be and he's fantastic but but my number four is the wolf it's terrifying oh my god they did not need to go that hard in a kid's film he's on Fathomably terrifying. Bill Collins that is, argument. That is that is the scariest thing I have seen in many in a kids film in so so long. That concept of spoiler alerts. If you haven't seen Puss in Boots: The Last Witch, he is the Grim Reaper. So he is death. His vocal performance from Wagner Mora of um, Narcos fame. He played Pablo Escobar in Narcos. Oh my god, I was in bits with his vocal performance. He is unbelievable. His design is great. His scythes are great. The way he fights with them is great. That kind of janky into the Spider-Verse animation style really works with him. And he's so again, I kind of hinted at this with Agent Smith before. He's he's not really got any finesse as a fighter. He's just an absolute brute. Chopping ward beating you back with his strength and he's terrifying he's absolutely terrifying um really cold you know gives puss in boots anxiety and ptsd all kind of rolled into one and like his payoff at the end is great and the idea that like there's a nice little theory that the reason he's a wolf is because cats are naturally afraid of dogs. So he's just appearing to Puss in Boots as a wolf because it's only Puss in Boots you see definitively interact with him. So death could appear differently to different characters within the Shrek universe, which is a really nice little idea. And I don't know how DreamWorks in that universe ever top him. He is an all-time great animated villain. He's fantastic. It is good. It's a good shout. Um, Michael, your number four, please. So, Matt, this is where my honourable mention comes in. So, my honourable mention is Hannibal Lecter. Okay. And again, I haven't put him because he isn't necessarily... He is a villain. He's a bad man. But he's not the villain of two of the films he's in. Mm. Uh, And the film he's best in, which I think is Silence of the Lambs, He's absolutely not the villain in that. He's like... He's a weird Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's... Um, and he, he, and so I couldn't put him, but I think in that same film, Buffalo Bill is terrifying. The, you know, there's a reason it puts the lotion on its skin has been in is referenced so often because it's just such a... Like, just unhinged... Because she doesn't know why. Oh, like, I was just going to mention. know what he's doing. Because hmm. um, I watched Jackass Forever and it comes up in Jackass Forever. Um, yeah, it's it's called, it's called Lotion by a band called the Greenskeepers. And it's actually yeah. a really good song. But it's it weird. It's lotion on its skin. Yeah. <laughs> or else it gets the hose again. Yes, precious, it gets the hose. <laughs> 
Yeah, and that that scene where um, Clarice is hiding from him, and he's you know in the house, and it's it's terrifying, and it, you feel, and she's quite a competent character, and he is just a man, you know, and she's an FBI agent. Technically, like in many situations, the power would be in her favor, but you really do kind of fear for her, and even though you think everything's going to be fine, you can't help but feel trapped mm. when she, you know, he does create that feeling. Um, and just like his motivation of making his like skin suit, and you know, it's just so he's such a scary, mm. just he's like pure evil. He's kind of like the kind of person who gets on like a really good episode of Criminal Minds, yeah. Do you know what I mean? He is a proper, just unhinged, please tell me these people don't really exist mm. kind of villain. Um, but would be terrifying, even though he's just a man, he could be a really weak man. Like and not physically be like threatening though he is in that. Just his kind of persona is terrifying. Yeah. Like they go into it in a bit more detail in the book as well. Like how like all the scenes that are kind of his point of view, he's taught he refers to the person he's kidnapped as the hide. And like he's talking about how he needs to treat it. Like it goes into detail about how to prep the skin and how to and like he when he's thinking about making it he's like um like one of his biggest concerns is where he's going to put the zip um he's like to put the zip at the front would be sacrilege you know ideally it would be on the back but um you know that that would be impossible to do himself you know he's heard about yachts where people would appreciate this kind of stuff but he you know he's trying to think about where to put the zip when he makes this thing and it's just oh yeah i love buffalo bill and i hate the narrative that's come around that silence of the lambs is anti-trans because the film the book does it better because people are talking about, oh, he's trans there, and you're portraying trans people as like villainous, and it's like it's a fr- it's a bit of a throwaway line in the film, but it appears in the book in detail. They go to great lengths to explain that Buffalo Bill is not trans. Yeah, he yeah. is not transgender. I he think it's been, quite clear. Yeah, yeah, he's been denied surgery a number of times on the grounds of criminal record and the fact that he is not be- he is not being dis- um, diagnosed as needing gender reassignment surgery. And there's a whole scene where Jack Crawford in the book is arguing with a doctor because he's trying to get the records of people who've turned away. And the doctor's like, no, Hippocratic Oath, I'm not doing it. I'll fight you on every single one of them. These are real, this is a real issue. And what you're doing is harmful to them. And Jack even explains, we're not looking for one of your patients. We are looking for someone you've turned away because you recognize they were not. Um, They say transsexual in the books, which I know is an outdated term, but... Yeah, you know he wasn't transgender. Um, but yeah, that annoys me because he, he is such a good villain and like you, you know so little about him in the film as well. Like the film really doesn't give that much away about him. Like some of his other background stuff in the book is kind of sad and haunting. Like there's this beauty pageant that he watches again and again that, and there's this contestant that he thinks is his mum who gave him up. And the reason he's called Jane Gorm is because his mum couldn't be bothered to like correct the mistake on the birth certificate. <laughs> so it kind of, but he like idolizes his mum and keeps on watching this beauty pageant where he thinks she's appeared and it's just not her. <laughs> um, Holly, you're number four. Um, I chose uh, The Wicked Witch of the West. 
from The Wizard of Oz. Classic. One of the OG villains. She's absolutely fantastic. I mean, now, watching it, she's not scary. But you can understand why. Firm disagree. You know, generations of children and adults going to see that in the cinema um were terrified by her absolutely terrified by her um and obviously you know it's a a very classic film everyone knows who this character is even if you've never seen the film it's a character that is entirely permeated pop culture um you know we know the wicked witch of the west um but i I really, really enjoyed a few years ago seeing a stage production of uh, Wizard of Oz that gave a completely different idea of her character. Because I, I really love um, the actress Margaret Hamilton portraying um, Al, Almira Gulch, the uh, you know the real world version of um, the Wicked Witch, who is just as villainous and wicked in real life because she's trying to steal Toto away. Um, just because Toto barked at her or supposedly bit her, but we don't think he did. Um, But in the stage production, Toto is not a real dog. Um, In the stage production, Toto is a cuddly toy um, that Dorothy thinks is real because she's struggling with the trauma of her parents dying. And um, Mira Gulch is against humouring this fantasy that the dog is real. So she plays along maliciously, saying that the dog bit her and taking the dog away as a way in her mind of breaking the spell of this imaginary dog for Dorothy. That's very dark. Yeah, so uh, and when it, it was amazing when I saw it, it was just at the story house in Chester, it wasn't a perfect like a massively professional performance. Um, but it was such an eye opening one because it made it's a great way of getting around, film. Though, we've got a fake dog because we couldn't have a real one. Well, they had this cuddly toy at the beginning of the show, and then when Dorothy goes to Oz, it's a real dog on stage. So that it, oh. like the the entire audience just went, oh my god. I would lose my mind. Um, yeah, and that dog, <laughs> what a professional. Like, mm. so good. Dogs um, are very hard to work with. That <laughs> made the the witch have a completely different um, motivation. It was like she was against fantasy. She, mm. She's, you know, a, a rationalist, a, a clear thinker. Um, and going back and watching the film afterwards, it kind of stands up a bit. She she wants Dorothy to grow up. She doesn't like uh, the fantasy. And when she's in the fantasy world, when she's the Wicked Witch in Oz, she wants to destroy some of the nicer fantasy elements of the world and make it more like the real world. And that's kind of what she's doing. Mm. Um, I really liked that interpretation. And I love when, like an older film, you see a new imagining of it and it makes you think about the old, older text differently. Um, Margaret Hamilton is an absolutely fantastic uh, actor. Um, Obviously, The Wicked Witch is over the top, um, but just the commitment um, to use that voice all the way through for it to be scary and not comedic. Um, The the scene where water is thrown on her and she dies and there aren't any special effects, she's just like, 
dying like this um <laughs> feels like she's dying it, it it could have been so comedic and silly and hammy but it, 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 she sells it um yeah it's just an absolutely brilliant brilliant villain no matter which kind of lens you're looking at her through um you know had to speak in defense which is since in defense oh. to the wicked witch if someone killed your sister with their house and then nicked her shoes how would you feel and then you're like she's like well, i want my sister's shoes it's my sister you've just murdered I would like, well, not murder, but you've manned Well, them. Michael, if like, you'd hey, followed hey, the canonical prequel hey. of Wicked, then you'd know that the Wicked Witch is actually just a misunderstood soul. And an exactly, and I'm, I'm been watching Wicked so. in, in December, actually. <laughs> well, but yeah, it's she's another, like... It's another one that makes you view the original text very differently. And I yeah, that. although we did start that bandwagon of, oh, the villains aren't evil, they're just misunderstood, and for Let's that... I tell the villain Wicked. story. Yeah, I hate it. It does also have okay, some anger songs, though. It does have. Yeah. It does. I do remember as well, Margaret Hamilton clearly felt guilty in her later years about how terrified people were of the Wicked Witch. So she did an interview with Mr. Rogers where she explained that she was the actress that played the Wicked Witch of the West. And as and the, the process of the interview is her getting into costume and makeup mm -hmm. as the Wicked Witch. It's just this really nice thing because Margaret Hamilton is clearly just a lovely woman. And there's also like that fun... Because Wizard of Oz is one of those, you know how Lord of the Rings, Michael, is one of those films that you can just be like, did you know at this point, this actor nearly died? Like, Wizard of Oz is the OG for that. And Margaret Hamilton's one was post, and your little dog too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Puff of Red Smoke and Fire. Her flammable makeup caught fire at that point, and she nearly died. And every time they tried to refilm that, she would stand too far away from the pyrotechnics because obviously. So they, the, the take in the film is the take of her on fire. <laughs> the makeup department on that film has an awful lot to answer. Oh, yeah. They I nearly mean, they killed the original Tin Man. Man. <laughs> Just mad. Yeah. I only know all of this as well because I was in um, a, a semi-professional -pro uh, production of um, Wizard of Oz when I was a kid. They got Oldham Theatre Workshop to play all the like the Munchkins and the the citizens of the Emerald City and like I was one of the flying monkeys. It was great, but they had like professional actors to play, um, you know, the, the the named parts. And they were all other than the wizard. He was a bit of a toddler, but they were all lovely. But the Wicked Witch, she made a specific point of being really nice to the kids. Because uh, she was great. She was genuine. Like, you were scared of her when she was on stage. She just, mm, something happened and she was just, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, right, number threes, Oliver. Um, It's Disney time. It's Disney time. And you lot already know. Well, Michael might not. He's not, he's not had as much, you know, lethal exposure to it at this point. Um, There are some... Honourable mentions, I've got to look away. And I love them. I love Gaston. Couldn't agree more with what Holly was talking about with Gaston. He absolutely deserves his place on this list. I'm glad someone has said him. I agree with Adam. Scar, fantastic villain. And I don't agree with his villain spotlight, as I'm about to briefly mention, because I've mentioned it to death. But if there's any villain spotlight that I'm happy to say is at least nearly as good, it's definitely be prepared. Because Nazi hyenas is some of the more terrifying imagery from the Disney Renaissance. 
some of because Hellfire is the most terrifying song a Disney villain has ever done by our very own Judge Claude Frollo. Again, a very realistic villain. There are men like this in power. Holly talked about um, with a pick from the mist, I forget her name, but like the idea that there are these people in power that think because of that power, they have some divine right to it and that anybody who doesn't think the way they do is just unclean and needs to be purged. Like, there's a lot of that going on right now and Frollo is as dark as it gets for Disney doing it. And this is real, he is quite realistic. There's definitely people who were like that. There's definitely people who, like it really reminds me of another villain I nearly put on here, but it felt a little bit tasteless because he was real Amon Gert, you know, uh, the Commandant in um, Schindler's List. And it's very similar to that relationship he has with, I think it's Rebecca, the girl's called, who is a Jewish girl. He sees her as subhuman, but he he, see, he finds himself drawn to her. And the dynamic that that brings with it, Frollo has that in bucket loads. People, you know, your criticisms have been, oh, it's too dark to be Disney. My retort is, you know, man up, you prunes. It's great. It's just, it's incredibly dark, but I want it incredibly dark. And his villain song, I've said it to death, his villain song is the only villain song that Disney have done, which isn't just, I'm a nasty bloke and here's my plan, or I'm a nasty girl and here's my plan. His is a deep, deep dive into his horrific psychological state. And for me, that is what musical theatre songs need to do. And Hellfire, off the back of that, is ju it's just, it's such a good performance by Tony Jay. The visuals are absolutely stunning. His cruelty, that abusive relationship he has with Quasimodo, of a you know, those scant compliments, which are always really backhanded. You know, good job, you're a smart lad. After getting him to admit that his friends are made of stone and therefore can't talk. Just, oh, he's just, he's so cruel. And like a lot of, like a lot of people praise Mother Gothel for quite, probably, definitely more realistically getting that abusive parent, right? But like, Frollo was the start of that. Um, although way back when you've got Lady Tremaine, who again, Holly mentioned before as a great Disney villain. I agree, she's fantastic. Um, but yeah, just the cruelty that Frollo has and like the way he is so opposite to um, Quasimodo. Like, and it's the reason that Esmeralda doesn't like either of them. Frollo treats her like an object. Quasimodo treats her like an angel and she doesn't want either of those. Phoebus treats her like a human being and that's why they end up together. But oh, he's, he's just, every scene he's in, I get chills. He's brilliant. Is you just call me a prune? A prune, yes. Disgusting. <laughs> prune. Disgusting. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Disgusting. Uh, it were one of yours. Right. Uh, how are you, number three? Uh, well, uh, we're going Disney again. This is my highest Disney one. I couldn't, I'm surprised. I couldn't choose between these two. And I had Gaston at, at number three. Um, and then I swapped them around at the last minute. Because even though on paper... And logically, I think Gaston is the better villain because he's more realistic. This villain just has my heart and it's Ursula from The Little Mermaid. I get it. I, I, I get it. I know uh, Ollie's <laughs> already mentioned that, you know, she is less believable. She's just big and megalomaniacal. Um, and I agree that she is so charismatic. It's unreal. 
Like, I don't know that, if anyone does that megalomaniac better than her in Disney. Either. Oh, Pat, Pat Carroll's voice acting here is stupendous. Mm. It, it, like uh, Ursula is, I want to be Ursula. I want to be, if I could play Ursula, obviously you couldn't because it's under the sea. I don't mm. know how you would do a good stage performance of The Little Mermaid. It can be um, done. I've I'm, seen I'm it done. Sure, it I'm sure it can, but um, oh, you, you would just relish singing Poor Unfortunate Souls. I like so many Disney songs, I know backwards and forwards. Like I can sing them all the way through. Um, this one, Poor Unfortunate Souls, I think is the only one where I can do every facial expression of the <laughs> character at the same time as singing it. And and just, there are so many little bits from that song that I can just like say to my sister or even just like do the action towards my sister. She knows exactly what I'm doing. Like, flutter some jets and now I've got a voice. Um, like little things like that just are so iconic. But everything Ursula does is iconic. Mm. The way she puts lipstick on and just like, oh, perfect. The animators just earned their dollars. They had a blast with, with her, didn't they? With this character. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wanted her to win as well. Um, there is no reason for that. We don't have a backstory. We don't know why she's aggrieved. Um, you know, you, I'm sure someone's going to do an Ursula film at some point where you find out she no, was, she was in love with Triton and then Triton ran away with another mermaid. I thought they were brother and sister. And I'll throw up. Oh, well, maybe. Yeah, I think they're meant to be brother and sister and he, he banished her for just being witchy. He stole of her course parties. he did. Mm. Of course he did. Um, but yeah, that, that just deep well of, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get my revenge however I mm. can get it. Um, oh, I'm rooting for her. I am. What um, do you think of Melissa McCarthy? Have not watched the live action. Don't intend to. It's it's not bad. It is one of the better live action like remakes of films that probably didn't need remaking. And Melissa McCarthy. Much, though, yeah, mm. I know. But like, <laughs> like, like... There are merits to like Aladdin. I don't see that many of them. There's some stuff to Beauty and the Beast. It is, I, I think it's noticeably better than like Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast, for example. Um, Melissa McCarthy is one of the reasons I think it is because like obviously she's not Pat Carroll, but yeah. she, I think she does a fantastic job. Um, because she doesn't like, oh, like she, she, she clearly respects the character too much to like mess about too much, but they let her get her style of humor in there and it works for yeah. Ursula. I, um, I, I really like her in this, uh, in, in the, in the remake. I think she's, she is really good. Um, but she's not Pat Carroll and I get, I'm glad of it. I'm sad as well. No one, like, for now, anyway, no one's put Jafar. Jafar's one that we keep on overlooking, even though he's a fantastic villain. He's a he's a great villain. He really is. He should have mm. been in my honourable mentions when I was listing Disney villains. But I, I do rate Gaston and, and Ursula above him, I think. Yeah, that, I think that's Just fair. though, the Disney renaissance knew what it was doing with its villains. They're mm. fab. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Michael, you're number three. Uh, yeah, my number three has been said. Uh, and there's not much more because it's been said a lot. Handlander. Uh, hey! um, I think, you know, the big thing for me about him is he doesn't believe he's the villain. He genuinely believes he's right. Because it's, it's in that, you know, when they call it, 
they're on about the names they have. And he's angry that people call him the Jew hunter. And he's like, well, I'm good at finding people. So naturally I find people for the Nazis. And mm. he's kind of, it's the fact that he's offended, even though what he's doing is horrific. And he's yeah. offended at the nickname it's earned him. And he has no right at all in any way to be offended by that. But he is. And he delivers it with such like sincerity, you know. And then in the, you know, back to the house at the very beginning, where he realizes no noise has happened below him. So it's like they don't speak. I think they speak in French. He's like, so they don't speak French. So that's what I'm. So he just goes, well, that's just why bother even getting them out of the cellar? Just bring the guy. And, and it's just the fact that he has that idea and does it based on the fact, you know, and then the girl's running away and he finds kind of joy in the fact that the hunt's not over and he gets mm. to carry on chasing her. And he's just such, he's just such a bad man. He really is just, just a bad man. And he's just so, but he's charismatic. And you mm. kind of enjoy him being on screen because you know it's going to be fun. It's going to be horrific, whatever he says, but it's going to be fun to watch him do it. You know, and everyone, you're a bit scared for everybody in the scene with him. No mm. matter how powerful they are at that moment, you kind of feel like he's going to get the upper hand. And like I was there at the end, even though he gets the swastika into his head, you kind of feel like he's going to be fine, though. He'll yeah. find some way to turn that to his advantage. And he'll, he'll claim to be like a victim of the Nazis, you know, something like that. And he'll end up yeah. running, you know, a, a victims of the Holocaust charity or something. He's just that kind of person. And you know he is. Mm, yeah. um, uh, right. My number three um, from my favorite horror franchise, one of my best performances of last year as well uh, Jigsaw. Uh, okay. From the yeah. Saw films. Like, no one expected Saw 10. Saw 10 to be as good as it was. <laughs> Never mind Tobin Bell being as Still good as it was. Still being in it when he's meant to have died how oh, many like, films ago. Obviously, like, you've got to kind of forgive the he died in the third one. How is there still 10 films? Yeah. Right? But, like. It doesn't detract from his performance either. He's fantastic. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, the first one, that twist. Was blew my mind, blew my tiny little mind when I saw that. I was like, oh my god! And then in the second one, everything that he's saying again, similar to Thanos, like it makes sense. But then the way that he's going about it maybe doesn't make sense. In yeah, that he's no, saying, I, I don't kill anyone. I just put them in really maniacal, unsurvivable situations, yeah, and just you know, it's up to them if they've got the will to live or not. And it's like, well, you know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Um. But I, I fell into I was I think I was the right age to fall into the sort of ingenuity of it, um, mm. and and the sort of the way that everything went and and I I fell over myself with all the stuff of after he died, and you'd get like Saw Five had been like here's a flashback scene, but if we turn the camera slightly to the left, oh my god that character stood there. I fell I fell into all of that, but then Saw Ten. Well, as soon as I found out what they were doing, and they said that it's going to take place between Saw 1 and Saw 2, and it's Jigsaw going to Brazil to seek out this sort of medical treatment that's going to help him with his cancer. I thought, well, how are they going about this? And they managed to take a villain and flip it on its head, and I was rooting for him instead by the end of the film, which is bizarre to then... Like, if you were watching them in chronological order, it's like, 10, you're, going, you're coming out of it going... Oh, I'm glad that he survived. And then you go into straight into two, and it's like, oh, well, these people who did me wrong, I've put them in a house together. So in a, in a little murder house. Yeah. So <laughs> let's just do that. But 
like I love the Saw films and it all worked because of Tobin Bella's Jigsaw and they did naturally over the time get better um, each performance in the many way the quality of the films themselves dipped some way and peaked and troughed and all that kind of stuff um, he's really good in the sixth one as well uh, which is more to do with him being denied medical insurance mm. for his condition and all that kind of stuff uh, but yeah Bit, bit more of a personal one, that one. But yeah, Jigsaw, my number three. Um, I have just swapped around my two and my one. Oh. Um, just because what was my number two was the one that I thought of instantly when we said we were going to do this list. And I thought, that's got to be my number one then. I think it could be my... I would be surprised if it isn't my number two. Okay. So um, feel free to not react and keep okay. it going. So we're going to see my number two. We're going to kick off with Michael. And Michael, your number two. My number two is, I think a lot of people agree this person is terrifying. I think to me, the one of the most terrifying movie villains ever, it's Annie Wilkes from Misery. I think she is absolutely horrifying to watch. And it's the kind of like, because she gives this kind of sweet vibes. And then you're like, oh, she's just helping him out. How kind of her to do this. And it's the fact that that persona almost never fully leaves. She's just doing horrific things in that persona. And, and the fit, I'm like, the, the hobbling scene is awful. It's like to watch, you know, and every time, even when you know it's coming, it's still awful. And I like, I don't know if that could ever be remade because I don't know if anyone else could pull that off. Because it's just, I don't know, it's, it's genuinely terrifying. And she is just some woman who was driving her and happened to, because actually she's not like, you know, I think of some of the other villains on this list who are like all powerful and she is more menacing in the scene she's in than many of them. And it is because of the fact that she's kind of being nice and she's kind of like, well, this is this is what you've made me do. And I, I didn't want to do this, but your actions are fast. And you're like, and, you, and again, these people exist. You know they exist. And yeah, she's just an absolute horror. Of just a love letter from Stephen King to all of his fans. He's like, leave me alone, you weirdos. Well, yeah, she's the <laughs> she's the beginning of like online fan, fan culture, um, stalking creative like right i'm amazed her face hasn't like become a meme when you've got people doing that you know if you've got someone crying over oh luke skywalker's not my luke skywalker in the last jedi someone just replying with a picture of annie wilkes's face that would have been perfect <laughs> just I, i've not seen misery but i've seen the hobbling scene and that yeah. was for me to go christ oh, honestly that. watching the rest of the film makes it worse because that's slow build up to it I mean, in the book, it's up to you whether you agree, like, whether you think the book, because the book does, it doesn't have the hobbling scene. I think she removes one of his feet with a blowtorch in the book. Huh. So if you remade that's, it, I imagine you'd be, you'd do that instead. Um, no, just geez. top it. Yeah. But the um, hobbling is just, ah. Yeah. Oh. Holly, yeah. you're number two. Uh, my number two. Let me get my list back. It's been mentioned already um, in uh, honourable mentions. I think someone said it in their list as well. Um, Agent Smith 
from the matrix is my number wow, two. Wow, that's high up. It's really high up. I, I understand that. I think the reason why it ended up so high up on my list, um, he, it's been out in it. He's been in and out of my list as I, I've been trying to make the 10. Uh, the reason why he's crept all the way up to number two is I think many of the villains can be categorized into categories. So we've said they're the, the pantomime, moustache twirling villains, and then there are the kind of serious, we understand their motivations villains. We can split them up like that. I think there's also the split, as you've already mentioned, um, between kind of the the physical kind of action-y villain and the basically an accountant bureaucracy is evil villain. And those are quite separate. So you've got Voldemort as the kind of action-y evil slinging spells villain and umbridge as the your real enemy is paperwork villain <laughs> um, and i think agent smith is one of the only villains i could think of who is both and hugo weaving portrays both so he's scary because he is the system he is the uh, uh, just unfightable huge monolith of bureaucracy and and government and and the weight of everything that's dragging you down but also a physically scary um uh, presence that you but you believe he could he could beat someone up and that's hugo weaving he didn't like massively like work out and get jacked for this role he does kind of look like a willowy elf or a, a accountant um, so you can believe him in that first one, but his presence as an actor makes you believe the second one as well. Um, and I think that is hard to do. Um, Hugo Weaving is a fantastic actor and, and there are many films where he is kind of hobbled in that way, like in um, uh, the film, I can't remember where he's Guy Fawkes. V for Vendetta. Thank you, V for Vendetta. Um, he wasn't even the first choice, that was meant to be James Purefoy but he refused yeah. to not wear the last mask, whereas Hugo Weaving was like, yeah, I'll just do the physicality. And of the course he did, the Hugo pretty yeah, boy. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, there, there, are, there are several actors where we know they are very, very good at doing that, but those, I, I, I just, Hugo Weaving might be, the, might be the best one based on this performance mm. for me. Um, I also saw the original Matrix. I'm not talking about the other two. I've only seen them once. They don't exist as far as I'm concerned. I'm talking Where about he's a virus. Which is a cool concept. Sorry. Um, but the, the original one, um, I saw it um, just at a really important time where I was just getting into films and just starting to feel like I liked action films and it it just blew my mind and and became just the the touchstone for what a good action film is how does it stack up to the matrix for me um and that meant that what a good villain is had to stack up to agent smith for me um and yeah I I think he he deserves a lot of love it's such such a good performance you've just reminded me of an so Sorry. Even in the first film, I know he evolves in the second one, like he actually evolves into a virus. But in the first film, you see he has evolved a little bit beyond the other agents. The mm -hmm. way he talks is different. He's more human. Mm -hmm. But also he's evolved to hate humanity. They are just tools, the other agents. But like he says to Morpheus, he actually hates them. Yeah. He's actually like, he's because he's 
gone beyond his programming, even in the first film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it is that idea that this machine has existed just protects us, but has actually it hates us. It's because we're so bad and it sees us as so bad. That it, it kind of goes as, as Neo as Neo evolves, as Neo gets better, or he's doing Smith does the same because they are the opposite sides yeah. of the equation. So that that yeah, kind yeah. of is in quite but nicely. He sells that in a film where he's supposed to be a computer program. Yeah. He's not supposed to have emotions. When he does show emotions, you can tell it's it's because, like you said, he's evolved past the other agents. He says like probably in a way that's going to be a problem later on. Yeah. Because he's becoming too much like the thing he hates, and you just start to see mm. it in the first one. Um, and then they didn't really explore it properly in mm. any of the others. Um. But yeah, he, he knocked it out of the park. It's as, a so weird, as a weird aside, and I could tell you the train of thought that led to it if you want, but it is very boring based on what Hollywood was. But it's just reminding me of another honourable mention. It's because it isn't a single person, but Ingsoc from 1984. I've just realised they probably uh-huh. deserve a shout for villains. Like, because they're horrifying. Similar to <laughs> yeah. you, Ollie, right? And the sort of the brain of thought there being, you mentioned James Purfoy, which then made me think of A Knight's Tale. Which then made me think of Rufus Sewell and a nice tale. Rufus right? Sewell. Not even his character's name, just Rufus Sewell. Yeah. But then I thought Rufus Sewell in the holiday. Yeah. He's a despicable Jasper, person. You scumbag. Jasper, you absolute scumbag. <laughs> um, Ollie, now that I've changed my one and two around, I get the feeling that we've got the same number two. Okay. I'm assuming the Joker is your number two. He is. Yeah, he's my number two now as well. Right, because this was what I was asking Adam about. I asked Adam a separate question for everyone, for you guys and for everyone in podcast land. Does it need to be a single performance of a character or can we just have the character in and of itself? Because, like, the Joker, there's just so many people who have portrayed him. And I would go as far as to say that the only portrayal of the Joker that I don't like at all is Jared Leto's. I think everybody who has played the Joker has managed to bring something to it that I like. I think if if you put a gun to my head, I would probably say that Mark Hamill is my favourite Joker. Um, although Heath Ledger's Joker is obviously sensational. Um, Joaquin Phoenix did a fantastic job as the Joker in like a weird kind of standalone film. Uh, I love Jack Nicholson's take. And a lot of like the voice uh, animated stuff as well. Like I'm trying to Google who does it in the Dark Knight uh, Returns um, films. So what's his name? Joker. Like his vocal performance as well is fantastic. Who plays it? Ah, he's not showing up. Ah, can't be wrong. Like again, like I kind of alluded to this with Green Goblin. Like the Joker is just so often that guy without a plan. When in the Dark Knight, we've kind of lampooned it last podcast. He absolutely has a plan, but it's fine for him to occasionally have a plan because more often than not, you do get the sense as well in Dark Knight that he is just testing Batman. Like that's his plan. Like that's his end game. Like he has a plan, but he hasn't got a plan in the sense of, you know, he wants world domination and, and stuff like that. And I like in the Dark Knight how he evolves. Like he starts out just like, ah, robbing banks is fun and killing people on the way and messing with the mob. Oh, that's fun. Oh, let's kill Batman. Oh, actually, no, I don't want to kill Batman. He's just too much fun. Like I want to keep him around. Like that, in that sense, the Joker doesn't have a plan. But like, 
such an iconic character to the point where we were getting a bit sick of him and we were really glad in the Batman that he brief only briefly appeared to the point where Barry Keon portraying him, you were a bit like, oh, do we need this? Do we need this? But that deleted scene where he's Hannibal Lectoring for Batman is great. I love that scene. Like uh, I, um, well, he's like, I I said this to Amy after I, I, I finished watching Saltburn. I said I'm now not looking forward to him playing the Joker. What? Because you don't think he'll do a good job? Oh, he'll do a good job. It's just I've now literally seen too much of him. Yeah, well, I, I've not seen Saltburn, yeah. but I know enough yeah. of what happens in Saltburn. So... <laughs> Things happen. Um, was it the Dark Knight Returns that you were just talking about? Yes. Uh, Michael Emerson. Michael Emerson, yeah. He's fantastic. He's just so... He's quite camp with it. Mm. Like, it, you almost get the vibe he actually loves Batman in a perverse way. But, like, this is... Like, because that's the classic story for anyone who doesn't know. Like, Batman returns... Like, he comes back after having been retired for, like, 15 years or something. It's the timeline where Jason Todd was killed by the Joker and all that. And um, Batman decides to make a comeback to clean up Gotham. And where and the Joker this entire time has been catatonic. Um and I remember seeing a comic book panel uh, recently, which got this idea across as well. Um, and the, the Joker's in Arkham with Batman, and he basically says, you know, you know, you're getting it all wrong, Bats. I don't hate you because I'm insane. I'm insane because I hate you. And as soon as you are done, I'm just going to go to a hospital and I'm going to take my meds like a good little boy and I, no one else is going to die. But as long as you're around... I am doing this to spite you. And that's just, like, just as that other side of the coin to Batman, he's such an iconic character. He's, and he's just, he's a lot of fun. Like, to the point where a bit too many, like, incelly school shooter type people have, you know, tried to identify with him, particularly the Heath Ledger one. Uh, and the Joaquin Phoenix one, but it's it doesn't stop him being a fantastic character most of the time he's portrayed. Shut up, Jared Leto, not you. It's, it's a weird one in that I'm thinking about, like, obviously I loved the animated series and watching that as a kid, and I remember watching it, but I'd not put two and two together with Mark Hamill being the voice of the Joker until much later on, probably the around Arkham the games? time of the Arkham games, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it's He's that so idea good in like, that as well, Joker. Yeah, mm. yeah. Just like, but knowing about him, knowing about Joker, knowing about him being this sort of antithesis to Batman, and then when it coming around of like, all right, Heath Ledger's going to play the Joker in the Dark Knight, but then knowing about Heath Ledger from A Knight's Tale, from everything that had come before, and thinking, is he the right person to do that? Is he the right, you know, is that the right choice? And then that sort of back when, you know, viral wasn't really a thing, but here's the one image that they're going to release. And it's literally just his face from like a really weird angle. Um, and you just sort of going, okay, yeah, we'll go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously everything that happened with Heath and then getting into the Arkham games, no one really touching it for a while. But then Jared Leto being a sort of, I'm just going to kind of copy what Heath did and try and be a bit weird and try and do all this kind of stuff. I'm glad that Joaquin Phoenix was in one sense more restrained, but then in another sense went a completely different way with it. Yeah. Um, I have my own issue with Joker anyway, 
in that I think we've now got a bit oversaturated. Massively. In that, yeah. in that everything has to fall back to Joker. If you're doing anything new with Batman, it has to fall back with Joker. And that's not me saying it has to. That's me sort of going, my issue is that people are doing that. Yeah. So like before Christmas, I, I was given the chance to review Merry Little Batman, which is a new animated film that went on Amazon Prime. Um, and I watched that, gave it a look, but the main villain again is Joker. And it's like anytime you're doing a new Batman property, because he's so recognizable, everyone falls back to Joker. I'm so glad that Matt Reeves didn't do that initially. I mean, obviously he's still there a little bit, and it's like, did we really need that? Da, da, but I'm I'm glad that they're they're trying to pull away from it a little bit. Because again, even with Barry Keegan, it's like his voice is a little bit ledgery. And it's like, is everyone now just deferring back to that? So again, It's like, hard to not, though, isn't it? Like, you're going to fall back onto Ledger version. or Hamill. Like, you're yeah. going to fall back onto one of those, yeah. really. Um, unless you are trying to do it a bit more. Like, no, because Joaquin Phoenix didn't really put on a voice. He just did his own voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and naturally fell into the hysteria of it, yeah. you know. Um, like, up until about 15 minutes ago, it was my number one. But then I thought, you know what, I'm going to flip it around here because, like I said before, when we said that we were doing top 10 villains, a name popped into my head straight away and I thought that needs to be number one. If I'm if I'm doing what I did on the top 10 trilogies and making a bit of a bold prediction here, I'm assuming all three of you have got Vader as your number one. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. You three just want to talk about Vader for a bit and then I'll, <laughs> I'll do my number one. You can't not. Me, like, yeah, you like can't. Not, the exactly what thing you came said. It's literally the third. Vader. Like, yeah. I heard the word villain. I went Vader. Immediately. Yeah. You can't. You can't not. I. You know. As much as we might might want to sit here and be edgy and pick all these art house, like you just can't. I feel like You've mine's going to feel like that now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it <is>. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like, I know you said his best scene is from when Disney like, but and, and yeah. I, I'm assuming you mean the hallway scene from Rogue One, which yeah. is yeah fantastic. Yeah. And the fact Absolutely that at the end fantastic. he's holding the door closed because you realise when he gets to it the door opens, so it was him all the time. You know, and yes, that scene is amazing, but he's pre- that that scene only works because when he lit that lightsaber, and when we heard the breathing, we already knew they were all dead. Because yeah. the minute we heard that breath, that sound, we did oh, they're all dead. There's no yeah. way they're getting away. Yeah. Because he is just a force. Like even when he was like a slow moving, you know, kind of guy, he was still intimidating. He was I just still this notion as well. Like it is a it's a mad effective scene. I love the Rogue One scene. But for me, it's this fight with Luke on Bespin in episode five. That is peak Vader. I will never be convinced otherwise. Like Return of the Jedi, the conversation with Luke for me. Yeah. I know we don't like that film, Adam. I know. I know. Cool. I love that scene. It's just it it, that's a lot less Vader the villain. Like I agree. I love that conversation, but that is Vader the tragic character. And I love it for that. And that's part of what makes him such a compelling villain. But in terms of what makes him just so chilling, it's the way he toys with Luke mm-hmm. in Cloud City. It's the way 
you know he's holding back because he starts off the fight just with one hand, just like, yeah, go on, I don't care. Oh, you're actually a bit better. All right, two-hand grip. I'm messing with you again. Oh, you actually got a hit in on my, on my shoulder. No, I'm not having that. Hand off. And, like, the fight in that, because people, like, kind of troll the fights from the uh, original trilogy for me, I think the only fight that looks genuinely bad is in episode four. And that is just two old men kind of, like, lightly waving sticks at each other. Vader versus Luke in both films, it's not very polished. The choreography is not very good, but it works. It's it's still, there is still good choreography there. It's just not got silly flips and prequel tricks. But, and, I, and I've already accounted for us as well, guys, because Adam did say we didn't need to limit it to one film. So we get to include Rogue One. We get to include his amazing scenes in Obi-Wan as well, where he is incredible in Obi-Wan. Um, yeah, he's just, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant and terrifying and really tragic. He's everything you want a villain to be. I forgot the name of it, but the EA game. Fallen Order. Fallen Order. Fallen like, Order, where he rocks up at the end and he's just like, Ron, and he's you do walking not stand a chance. slowly Ron. towards you. Yeah. And you're just like, there's nothing you can do. Like, people have used cheats to try and kill him, and they've fought ahead, and he cannot be killed by any means yeah. in that scene. Like, literally, no if, you turn around it, face so him, just, if you turn around to face him, he snaps your neck immediately. Yeah. Just like, so good. Because, like, I've said it before, Disney have split opinion on what they've done with Star Wars. Some people like what they've done, some people hate what they've done, some people, I'm kind of in between, I like most of what they've done. I think everyone agrees that Disney have just understood Vader. Every time they've done Vader, every time we've seen Vader in like the past 10 years, he's been brilliant. He's been absolutely brilliant. And that opening shot of him walking through with the Stormtroopers onto the Tanti for even the, the music's like, nah, you want to be careful, this guy. He's, he's about to mess you up and just start. A couple of shout outs for for Vader, um, the costume department. Yes. Like that mask, that just the the costume in general, it is it is quite simple, the body part of that costume with the with the cape. Why does he need a cape? He don't need no cape. He's not flying around, but it, it definitely works and it's a part of his image. It's so iconic, such such an iconic look. Uh, silhouette, um, I can't remember where I heard it, but the sign of a good character is that you can put them in silhouette and people still recognize who they are. 100% Vader. Um, yeah. But then the two actors who portray him in the original films, the people who portrayed portrayed him in, in Rogue One, excellent. Um, but obviously James Earl Jones as the voice actor, just spectacular. Um, but also David Prowse as the, the body of Vader, his physical presence, the way he can just go like that, and that's scary somehow. Mm. It really is scary somehow. Mm. Um, yeah, ev everyone connected with this character brought their A-game. Yeah. I feel like Caden Christensen's really managed to lean into it as well. I love his Vader. I, he does I'm move glad they've given a chance to like be better. He's better as like, Vader. He's a really good miles. Vader. His his physical movement for our Obi Wan. He's really tried to like marry the two, and I really like that. He's like he still has that gait that's a bit awkward, but the way he moves is like because he made sure that Anakin moves quite fast, but very like 
he had just such powerful movements and now his mobility is limited but he still has that kind of just like just gonna wail like that one scene of luke wailing on vader at the end of episode six that's just hayden christensen's entire fighting style as vader and i love it and just oh he's he's brilliant <laughs> um I, you're not going to agree on edge lord what you're saying but you, you might go oh it's, it's a good shout it should have been on someone's list um but when we when we said top ten villains, my head immediately went to I think my obviously my favorite villain in a film, which is Vincent in Collateral. I did wonder when that's going to come up. Yeah, like, I, Tom Cruise in Collateral. I realized that in the middle of talking about Anton Chigurh, I was like, because I was like Javier Bardem. Oh God, Vincent! Like, oh, one of my favorite Vincent. performances ever in a film. But then he's so cold. He's so calculated. Everything that he does should mean something. And he only gets angry and he only gets sort of out of step when Jamie Foxx's character stops him from doing things. And he sort of says, like, you're getting in the way of my work. Like, all he's trying to do, similar to what we're talking about, God, he's just trying to do his job. His job isn't a good thing. He's a hitman, you know. But he is in the way of everything. And Jamie Foxx's character keeps getting in the way of everything. And, like, Vincent sort of... Um, the first time he kills somebody and he lands on top of the taxi cab and he says, oh my God, you killed him. And Jim, and, and uh, Vincent just says, I didn't kill him. I shot him. The bullets in the fall killed him. The bullets in the fall killed him. It's yeah. like, <laughs> who am I dealing with here? And I just thought it's, it's such a cold performance from Tom Cruise. Like nothing that you'd expect from him to do. I'd love to see him do something else like this. He needs to. He's yeah. so, like... so good in he... it. People think he's a bad actor because they've forgotten a lot of the stuff he did in like the nineties, where he was mm. still trying to make a name for himself, and they've clearly like not included this because yeah. when he wants to, he's a phenomenal actor. It's just again, he can't like put it's... an extended running scene for a villain, <laughs> and he won't be in a film that doesn't give him thirty seconds of. That's true. Time. Villains have got to walk. Yeah. He has a good run in this, though. He has a he good run. Yeah, he, he chases Max, gets away from him a little bit, and he's got to he's got to catch up, you know. And he gets there in the end. But yeah, I just that was my first instinct, and all the way through, knowing that I was going to eventually get to Joker being my number one, I thought, you know what? Actually, Vincent was the first one that I thought. Of, I'm so I'm I am surprised around. at that switch. I do. I'm a bit. My bigger shock for you. Well, it's not so much of a shock. It's just like my bigger aggrievement is you not having a Star Wars villain in there at all. But I am shocked that the Joker didn't manage to point, maintain that fear. At one point, and you might disagree with this, at one point I nearly put Darth Maul in there. Purely because of like he's he's just a badass in front of me. To be fair, we'll I have think a chat the... about it in the next one, shall we? Well <laughs> it's interesting that you've said that because I do have a Star Wars performance in my next one. And it is one that I have changed a couple of times. So mm. So we're about to record, for those listening, we're about to record our great performance, Shame About the Film. Now, the the wording of it has changed in the initially, I think it was good performance, shit film. Um, but I think there are some of mine where the film's not awful, it's just that the performance is much better than the film deserves. Yeah. But then as we get further down my list, it's like that film, I really didn't like that film, but they were great in it. So, I've managed to do it purely for awful films, so I've got well, I've got like um, a couple, like one honourable mention in particular where you're going to be raising your eyebrows. Um, you son of a um, right, it's an honourable mention now, sir. 
Yeah, I'm um, annoyed I to think of Vincent as well, for what it's worth. Vincent's we're gonna, great. We're going to go and have our break, because we, we all need one, as much yeah. as I try not to have one, uh, and then we're going to reconvene. So thank you very much for watching. Thank you very much for listening. Um, go back and watch the top 10 trilogies if you've not done. Make sure that you've watched all this villains list, and then next week will be the start of our top 10 good performances. Shame about the film. Stay safe, look after each other, and I'll see you next time.